Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. In this episode, I feature Hannah Traore. Born and raised in Toronto, she developed an affinity for art and an appreciation for diverse perspectives from a young age. Her mother, an art collector and fiber artist, infused art into every aspect of her life, while her father, a Malian immigrant, immersed her in his culture, which introduced her to issues of representation in the art world and beyond. After obtaining a BA in art history from Skidmore College, Hannah became the painting and sculpture curatorial intern at the Museum of Modern Art and later served as project manager to Isolde Brillmeyer, deputy director of the new museum, NYU professor and independent curator. Through an exploration of her eclectic heritage, Canadian, West African, Jewish and Muslim, she has gained an appreciation for what makes every person unique. Hannah Traore Gowries aims to celebrate the things that make each of us extraordinary. She was celebrated for her work with Hannah Traore Gowry by being included in the 2023 Forbes 30 Under 30 list in arts and culture. Enjoy this episode featuring gallerist Hannah Traore. Hannah, welcome to my podcast. I am really pleased to feature you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I've been a fan of your podcast since we met, and so it's exciting to finally be able to participate. Of course. I was just waiting. (laughs) (laughs) Now that you've had more than a year under your belt. So when did you really recognize your love for the visual arts? I wouldn't say that there was a particular time that made me realize I loved art because I was really raised in art. So it was less a question of when and more a question of how much. I I was always in art classes um, before, honestly, like some of my first memories were in art classes, um, either in the neighborhood or at the schools. And we went, went to art camp. I was there for seven years and then taught there for two. And so it was so much a part of my life that I really can't say there was ever like a conscious decision or understanding that I loved it. Did you ever consider being an artist? Yeah, I did. Actually, I I was choosing between going to a liberal arts school, a fashion school and an art school when I was choosing which uh, college to go to. And I decided to go the liberal art route, but I was an art minor. And so art, again, has always been a huge part of my life. And so it made sense for me, especially, you know, I went to this art camp and it was really kind of preparing you to apply to art school. And so it was always it was always in my mind. And if you weren't involved in visual arts, what other career path do you think you would have chosen? Actually, my entire life, I wanted to be a primary school teacher. In my preschool report card, it said I wanted to be a mother, a teacher and a spice girl. And so... (laughs) 
I actually decided I wanted to go into the arts in sophomore year of college because I realized that, you know, I have tons of cousins who I adore and I can get what I wanted from teaching through my life. Whereas I don't think I would be able to get what I wanted through the arts, just having art and art history as a hobby. And I I really do adore kids. Um, <laughs> and so that was just always what I wanted to do. And actually I'm bringing that love for children into the gallery. My next show in the exhibition room is actually a collaboration with three primary schools in the neighborhood. And so I found ways to kind of put that back into my career. Early on, was there a particular artist or a body of work that captured your attention? When I was little, I was a dancer. And so Degas' work was really exciting to me. I had books. I remember I had an umbrella with Degas' little dancers on it. And so that was really kind of the first artist I can remember absolutely adoring, which is funny because I, I don't really relate to the work at all anymore. I think, you know, it's beautiful, but it's it's kind of boring to me now. <laughs> but I, I would say Degas was really the first And what type of art do you relate to now? I mean, I think that I'll always love the work that I grew up with. So, you know, Alexander Calder, Degas. But I think that I relate to work that makes me feel something. And that sounds so cheesy, but it's true. And when I look at something like Degas, it just feels very flat. Um, I also, I mean, I don't see myself at all in the work. Not that I necessarily have to, but, you know, I, I like to, I like to be surprised. I like to be excited. And so something like Rothko excites me to this day because the colors really make me feel something. I think he was a gorgeous colorist or, you know, something like new contemporary artists like Kezia Harrell's work really excites me. I, I think that her technique and her attention to detail and her authenticity and her honesty in her work is really exciting. And so it makes me feel something. And I find that a lot of work that I grew up with, some of it still excites me and some of it, I just feel like eh, kind of like the mediocre white man. (laughs) Yeah. Like the media, the mediocre white man kind of took over and I can't really, I don't really get it. That's fine. That's honest. When did you decide to become a gallerist? I think that my senior year is the first time that it really popped into my head. I decided to curate an exhibition at the museum on campus, the Tang Museum. I went to the director and had an idea for a show and he just amazingly said yes. I still to this day can't believe that he trusted me because we'd never met before. (laughs) But I guess, you know, he liked my proposal and they had just gotten a grant and a whole bunch of new work. And so um, I worked with some of the works from the collection and also then was very lucky to be able to purchase and lend work for the show. And I had artists like Derek Adams, McLean Thomas, Kende Wiley, Zanelli Maholi, Hassan Hajjaj in the, in, in the show. And that was the first time that I ever curated an exhibition and realized that I wanted to go down that path of the art world, more curation. And so I really wanted to kind of do my own things. I already had a strong vision of what I wanted to do, but I had never taken a business class. And I remember my friend May saying to me, you know, you can always hire someone to help you with that stuff. And that was kind of the first time I realized like, oh, maybe I do want to open a gallery. Maybe I can figure out my blind spots and have people to help me with that. Yeah. What type of relationship do you like to have with artists? I like to have a a real friendship with my artists. Part of opening my own gallery was really curating, uh, uh, pun intended, who I get to work with. And that is my team. That's my artists. That's my collectors. And so I have no interest in working with artists who I don't believe in as people. 
as well as, you know, as artists. So I'm really lucky. I've, I've built really beautiful friendships with the artists that I've shown so far. And if, if not a close friendship at the very least, a very close respect and working relationship. But I really, you know, last night I was at Camila Falquez's house for dinner. She cooked me dinner and we caught up and debriefed from freeze. And that's really what I like in an artist gallerist relationship. Yeah, I envy that. (laughs) And what type of relationship do you like to have with your collectors? Honestly, similar. I really, I I wouldn't say that I have as close relationships with my collectors, not in the same kind of friendship way, but I really like to get to know my collectors. I like to get to know them more than just their collections. And, you know, again, I don't like to sell to someone who I don't believe in as people, you know? And so I, I try to figure out who my collectors are. And, and there's also, you know, there's a difference between collectors who collect multiple pieces from the gallery and really support the gallery in that way. And then a collector who buys one piece because they're really interested in the artist, all are very important, but it is a little easier to get to know the collectors who keep coming back and are interested in the program and interested in me as a gallerist and, you know, what we're doing as a whole. And so those relationships mean a lot to me as well. Well, on the subject of program, Share with us, what is your vision and what what is your programming? So I'm really interested in showing artists who are historically kind of left out of the conversation or exploited by the art world. So people of color, queer artists, indigenous artists, immigrant artists, artists with a disability, neurodivergent artists, et cetera, et cetera. But the real main point is that I'm focusing on the quality of their work. And so I'm finding work that deserves to be shown, deserves to have a platform. And then the artist just also happens to be from one of those groups. And I think that's really important to note because there's no artist in the gallery that's showing because they're black or because they're, they identify as queer. They're showing because their work is exceptional and they also happen to be those things. Do you consider yourself an incubator for emerging artists? I I would say yes, but I don't think that's the whole story. I don't only work with emerging artists. I think that there's a lot of mid-career artists that deserve a platform and that have been left out of the conversation as well. And so it's really exciting for me to work with artists of all ages, of all kind of levels in their career. And so I'm not sure that that would be fully accurate. What form of art do you favor? Photography versus abstraction paintings or figurative sculpture? What form of art do you really like? You know, that's such a hard question. It depends on my mood. I really, truly like it all. I think that there's been times in my life when I've been more drawn to photography, times in my life when I've been more drawn to figurative more drawn to abstract. Right now, I'm really excited by sculpture. I think maybe because you see it less often, I get so excited when I see work in in the 3D form. I also, as an artist, relate more to 3D art because I'm not a painter. I'm not a drawer. I work with ceramics and fiber and strangely, you know, bookbinding actually, but I'm more of a 3D person. And so... Maybe that's why I'm I'm feeling really excited by it right now. But I, I genuinely would say that I like all mediums the same. Are there trends in the art world that you get really excited about? And are there those that you're challenged by? I think trends in general are challenging for me because... I find that when a trend starts, then a whole bunch of people jump on the bandwagon and then the galleries jump on the bandwagon and then the market becomes oversaturated. And that is very frustrating to me. For example, I think that figurative art right now is becoming so trendy that it's becoming 
oversaturated and and I find myself rolling my eyes when I see the work, which is frustrating because there's so many incredible figurative artists that I actually adore and think are so talented and are really adding something to the atmosphere. But because again, it's a quote unquote trend and there's some, to be totally frank, really mediocre work that's being celebrated because it's a trend. It really, I think, damages the work of the really incredibly talented artists. Like I, off the top of my head, I'm so excited again by Kezia Harrell, who's a figurative artist, you know, Ludovic, you know, I think he's incredibly talented just as two examples. And so I think that trends can really hurt artists, actually. How do you feel collectors should support artists? I think that it's really important for the collector to always remember that there is an artist behind the work and that there's an artist's career behind the work. I think when collectors are too focused on the art as a commodity, that's when dangerous things like flipping happen, which can be super detrimental to an artist's career, actually. And so I think, again, like if if, an, if a collector is invested in the artist as a person and their career, then then that is less likely to happen. And there's more likely to be beautiful work on the collector's wall instead of just in a storage facility, which also I think is important because art is meant to be seen. Um, And so I think just really remembering the humanity of what we're all in this together for is important. And what do you feel is the role of the trustee? How impactful do you feel they should be when it comes to influencing an institution's collection of Black art? I think trustees are super, super tricky, honestly, because more times than not, the trustees and their opinions and political views and thoughts on where the art world is going are not in line with the people who work at the institution. And I I know that firsthand from being an intern for a year at MoMA. And, and to be honest, you know, because the institutions have to be so aligned with their trustees because of how crucial the trustees are to the survival of these institutions, they're kind of they're put in a really hard position. And a lot of decisions are made based on that relationship with the trustees, which, again, can be dangerous. And so I think that it's important for the trustees to listen to the institution and not be so swayed by their own opinions and understand that they actually most times are the minority in terms of opinion. And I think that our institutions would look very different and their collections would look very different if that was the case. I I do think that a lot of mm, institutions are heading in the right direction at a snail's pace, mind you, but headed in the right direction. But I do think that the reason it is such a snail's pace is because of kind of this strange relationship between trustee and institution and how a lot of times it's not aligned. Do you feel the Black Lives Matters movement impacted these institutions and do you feel it's long lasting? I think a lot of the response that I saw from institutions during the Black Lives Matter movement, or I should say the kind of explosion of the Black Lives Matter movement or, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement coming to the collective consciousness more. I found that a lot of institutions were very performative, actually. And again, performativism is actually super detrimental to the actual movement and to the artists involved. I do think that more Black art is being collected because of it and more Black artists are being recognized because of it. But if it's done in a lazy or performative way, 
then it won't be long lasting. And so my hope is that the more kind of curators and directors, et cetera, et cetera, who are of color, who are taking up positions of power in these institutions, the less performative these movements will be. And so I think that's really the most important thing for it to be long lasting. You know, someone like Naomi Beckwith is is an amazing example. And that gets me really, really excited. It makes me feel like it won't be kind of short term. It'll be really forward thinking and, and go into the future. Mm-hmm. I agree. How do you keep learning? That is a great question. How do I keep learning? I, well, of course, you know, you have to read, I think is super important, but also honestly, I feel like the way that I learn the most is through my peers. I love having, you know, dynamic discussions with my peers about everything from art to, you know, God in the world, as people say, but I think that just keeping your mind open as well and and understanding that you may be wrong and, and, you know, being very sure of your opinions, but also being able to change your opinions with new information. I think that's the most important part of learning. But for me, it really, I feel like is through friends and colleagues that I learn the most. Mm-hmm. Are you excited about all the art fairs? I'm always excited about art fairs. I love art fairs. <laughs> I think it's such a great way to meet artists, gallerists, curators, collectors. I think it's an exciting way to get introduced to new artists and see, you know, there's 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 so many discoveries when you go to an art fair, which I find really exciting. Um, and then for me, it's really exciting because I've just started participating in them. I just participated in Freeze for the first time, which was incredible. It was one of the best weeks I've had in my entire um, gallery's lifespan. Um, so that was really nice. But yeah, I think art fairs are amazing. Do you feel black art can be defined? Absolutely not. I think that if we define black art, what we're saying is that there's one or two ways to make black art, one or two ways to show black art, one or two types of black artists. And I think that's actually kind of a really unfortunate box that black artists are put in anyways. And you would never say that there's a way to define white art, right? And so I think that we need to remember that black people and black artists are not a monolith and that there is such a diversity in style and concept in, in absolutely everything. And I think it's something that cannot be defined, just like black people cannot be defined. What are you excited about right now? Oh, I am excited for the year ahead. Honestly, I just it's been such a fun, exciting, overwhelming (laughs) and enriching year for me as, you know, the first year of my baby. And I'm just so excited to see what the second year brings. I have tried not to create too many goals because I know that all the goals that I created Not that I didn't meet them, but that they really changed over time because everything was different than I thought it was going to be. Not everything, but I just so many really incredible opportunities came up that I never could have imagined. And certain goals I had changed because my life or the or the the trajectory of the gallery changed. And so I'm just really excited to see where everything takes me this year. I'm also really excited to see the way that the art world continues to allow women of color specifically to take up positions of power, to open their own spaces and to really help shape the future of the art world. And I'm just so excited to be a part of and also see that future. Yeah, I think it's great. What do you feel is the purpose of art? I think the purpose of art is to create joy, honestly, to create discussion, to create joy. I personally am in the arts because it makes me happy, which sounds, again, so cheesy, but that's just the truth. <laughs> and I think that it, it it makes a lot of people happy. I think it makes artists who create the work happy. I think it makes collectors who get to live with the work happy. I think it makes scholars who get to study the work happy. 
I think that's why we're all kind of in this. And so what more is there? Can one compare an appreciation of a photograph versus the appreciation of a painting? Well, I think that one can compare anything to anything. And I think that it is a different experience looking at a photograph and looking at a painting. But I do think that in the art world, historically, the comparison has been hierarchical. And photography has always been seen as a lower art form to painting and sculpture. And I think that that's wrong. I think that that's still something that's really in the mind of the art world and needs to be changed. Comparing is one thing. And I think, that, you know, you compare anything, but I think that usually that means that painting is considered a higher art form. And that's what I disagree with. Do you have an opinion on the future of ceramics? It's a really good question. The future of ceramics. Ceramics is one of my favorite things to collect and to look at. Honestly, I get so excited by ceramics. Can I ask you why? I, I, I think, well, one, because I love making ceramics, probably, honestly. Two, because I really, I grew up with my mom having tons of beautiful mugs and, and vases and everything made from ceramics. But then also, she also adored Japanese ceramics. And so we would always see those shows. And that's honestly probably why. But also, I just I think it's so exciting to be able to take art with you. Like, usually not always, but usually ceramics is a little bit smaller scale and you can like carry it with you. And I also think it's interesting. Ceramics can be both utilitarian and more conceptual, which I think is exciting. So, you know, I can carry a gorgeous ceramic mug that ju is just as much an art piece as the gorgeous ceramic sculpture that's on this pedestal near my couch. So I think all of that is really exciting. In terms of the future of, of ceramics, I would have to study more <laughs> to give you a real answer on that. But I, I would say again that I think it's exciting that ceramics are being used in both a utilitarian way and a more expressive way. And so if I would have to have an opinion on the future of ceramics, I hope that both of those things continue, but also that the envelope is pushed in, in both of those ways as well. Yeah, I agree. I've enjoyed our conversation, and this is the last question. And that is, as a gallerist, what long-lasting impact do you want to have on the art world? I love that question. I really want to inspire other Black and Black female gallerists to open their own spaces because I think it's great to have a few like we have now, but it's even better to have a ton. And I think that real change comes from many and that's not to say that one person or 10 people can't make a change. They absolutely can. But imagine the change that 100 people can make. And again, when we talk about kind of long lasting change, that's really the way to do it. And so I hope that I can be a part of that change and that people look to me and think, yes, I can do that too. But then on, on top of that, I, I, I really hope to continue to be a space where artists feel seen or a specific type of artists feel really seen and want to show with me because of that. That That's really important to me. And and, and lastly, I, I want people to be able to feel comfortable in the space. I want people who look like me to walk into the space and feel like it's theirs because it is. So, you know, those those three things are really what I want my legacy to be. Well, thank you for coming to the table. Thank you <laughs> for being in the game. <laughs> I love the work that you're doing. And I appreciate the fact that you're providing a platform for artists who deserve to be seen. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com 
and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram. 